You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back to Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Mariners pod on Twitter, at Mariners pod. Thanks for being here. Gary Hill back with you. This feels like a dress rehearsal for the real thing with a night game last night and then a podcast today. It feels like this is uh, this is getting us ready for the real thing. Just a couple of weeks away, getting oh so close. And this is going to be a fun one. Uh, we're going to talk about last night's game a little bit and what was a wild game and plenty of runs scored. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit. Also, we're going to talk starting rotations in the big leagues. I ran across something very interesting written by Ben Leibowitz. He writes for Sports Illustrated, NBA.com, Yahoo Sports, also Point After, and that's where this article was at. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it, this is not an easy task, ranking all the rotations in the big leagues. And I find it pretty fascinating, and I found it very interesting where he had the Mariners too. So we're going to talk about that kind of the big leagues in general, and where the Mariners fit in. And if they do end up fitting in where he thinks, I don't want to give anything away. I'm going to, I'm going to stop it right there. It's a good conversation. That comes up. Also, Joe Gargiola passed away yesterday, and our little tribute here is Rick Riz. In 2007, right before the season started in spring training, sat down and had a conversation with Joe Gargiola, and it's just – it's a classic conversation. He's one of the characters of the game. Uh, he did it all, broadcaster, player, long career in Major League Baseball. It's a conversation I think you really enjoy, so that comes up at the very end of the podcast. First things first, with the game last night against the Oakland A's, a final score, the A's won 13-12 to as both offenses just exploded. The Mariners Put up some pretty big numbers in this one. The 0-1 pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Well hit. Deep to left field. Going. Going. Get out the right. Brennan Mustard. Grandma. It is grand. Salami time. Luis Sardinius with a grand slam. His second home run of the spring. Holy smokes. And it's now the Mariners 11. And the A's nine in a crazy, crazy game tonight here in Peoria. Mr. Niehaus, that one's for you. It was a crazy night. He's really making a push uh, for the roster. Two for five, drove in four with that long ball, hitting 375 now in the spring. And he wasn't alone offensively. The 0-2 pitch, swinging a fly ball deep to right field, down the line. Smolinski on the run, still going back, reaches out, can't get to it. It's on the track and off the wall. Aoki will score. Marte, Ronnie, third heading home. He will score. In at second goes Chris Iannetta with a two-out, two-run double. Deep to right field, down the line, and the Mariners have tied the game. 
And 2-2 here in the bottom of the first clutch base hit for Ionetta. Yeah, he ended up going three for three, drove in four runs as well. A lot of guys, big, big nights offensively. Aoki went two for four. He scored a couple of times. Kind of the, I guess, the bigger picture coming out of this game was Carnes struggled two and a third, eight hits, nine runs, seven earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. So obviously that has an impact on the race for the final rotation spot. So that's going to be interesting to watch with not many starts to go between Carnes and Paxton. So it looks like this one's coming down to the wire. So not the night that Carnes certainly wanted to have. The A's win 13-12 to over the Mariners. Mariners back at it today, taking on the Rockies at 1 o'clock. And just a handful of games to go until the start of the regular season. So we're getting down to it. We are getting down to it. Baseball awfully, awfully close. So speaking of rotation, I think this is, a, this is pretty interesting to look at and really hard to do because you look at some of the rotations around baseball. There are some fantastic rotations right now, and it's so hard to judge not knowing who exactly is going to be at the back end of rotations. But I, I was fascinated by this article, and I enjoyed this conversation about rotations in Major League Baseball right now. We're going to talk a little Major League rotation. Ben Leibovitz, and you've probably seen him all over the place, a writer. Yeah, you've probably seen him on Sports Illustrated, NBA.com, Yahoo Sports, a writer for Point After, which is where I saw this tremendous article. We're going to talk rotation here. Thanks for coming on, Ben. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before we talk about where the Mariners fall and where other teams fall, you wrote, uh, you put together kind of a rankings of Major League Baseball rotations. What was your method methodology? How did you go about ranking rotations coming into this season? Yeah, so obviously it's it's really tough to rank every single rotation heading into the season. There's You don't really know who's going to be the fifth rotation guy. Things mm -hmm. are still getting hashed out in spring training. So kind of how I went about it, I took every pitcher's war, which is their wins above replacement, so essentially how valuable are they compared to an average-level pitcher in this case. So I took all of those from the season prior, added all of those up, and then went to baseball prospectus and used all of the projected war figures and added those together for each pitcher for the 2016 season. So it's essentially last year's tangible war against this year's projected war, adding those together and then ranking by that. And you projected essentially the five-man rotation for each team? Yeah, so essentially it was going through to a lot of different sources, trying to figure out who, who are going to be the guys, especially at the end of the rotation, who's going to be filling that out. Tougher for some teams, but obviously for the teams that have an ace, like the Mariners with King Felix, you kind of got a good feel for what they're going to be featuring. So just trying to project that out and do my best that way. Okay. You mentioned it, King Felix and the Mariners. So where did they fall on your rankings heading into this season? Yeah. So the Mariners and King Felix wound up 10th. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about their, uh, their projection this year. Obviously Felix Hernandez is the guy, former Cy Young award winner, He's really going to be the workhorse for them, as he always has been. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing to me to see that he's only going to be turning 30 in April. I mean, <laughs> I it, it feels like he's been going at this 
forever now. I thought he'd easily be like 32, but yeah, he's still a young guy getting right into his prime now in theory. I think he's going to continue to be dominant. And I think really one of the, the big wild cards is Kiwan Walker. Mm. Uh, my colleague Nick Selby, who writes a weekly fantasy baseball column for Yahoo Sports, uh, he actually wrote a piece recently having five potential breakout candidates for 2016, and Walker was one of the guys that made the list. Now, obviously, as you know, he didn't really have a great start to last season. I think his ERA was over six through his first 10 starts. He was allowing a lot of home runs, allowing a lot of walks. And then from there, he kind of settled in and really had a great second half. So it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde scenario there, but you'd like to have the, the better walker as he was at the end of last year, and maybe he can be that guy throughout this season. How much difference in your predictions do you think Wade Miley made, one of the newcomers this year? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I think that he, he can be – an interesting guy. Like he, he was right about average for Ward, around 2.5. They say average for a pitcher is around two. So not a huge needle mover. He didn't really have a great year in Boston. Didn't really adjust all that well. But at the same time, he's one of those guys that I like to call an innings eater. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back every year since his rookie year, he's pitched more than 190 innings. Twice he's gotten over 200 innings. So. I mean, he's just one of those guys that's going to give you a solid outing each time out, and he's not going to blow anybody away. He's not going to be the ace of the staff, but he is that guy who can really take a lot of the heat off of the bullpen, keep some innings, keep a team in it, which is a great guy to have around three or four in the rotation. I think it's pretty interesting. One of the most interesting things about your rankings, I think, is the Mariners are 10th in the rankings, but if you break it down by American League, uh, American League, National League, one of the top American League rotations that you have ranked. Uh, you have Boston and Houston just ahead of them, but the only other American League team, Cleveland, at number four. So in terms of American League, the Mariners really stack up pretty well. Yeah, and I, I think this year they're really positioned well from the starting rotation standpoint, but really I think it's going to come down to the offense and whether they can produce enough runs and obviously a lot of that falls on Robinson Cano. Mm-hmm. Can he have a bounce back year? He was really struggling in April, May, and June. Some pretty meager slash lines there. And then July, he really turned it on and had a great month. That continued into August. And then September, he kind of fell off again. So I think he's going to be one of the key guys to watch along with Nelson Cruz. Can they produce enough runs? Will the pitching staff fall in, fall in line with these projections and really kind of lead the charge for them. Did anything surprise you when you were doing this? Um, well, one of the ones that really did surprise me was the Royals. Mm. And obviously they, they don't really have a, a true ace of the staff. They had James Shields leave a couple of years ago, and now they're really kind of leaning on Volquez and Ventura at the top of their rotation. And I love Ventura. I think he has a lot of potential. But, again, he's just one of those inconsistent guys like Volquez where they can have a fantastic start and then implode in the next start. So that's going to be one that's really interesting. And I I honestly thought that I was going to get a lot more outreach from from Royals fans that being upset (laughs) that their team was the bottom five. They've got a very passionate fan base. But I think they're kind of resigned to the fact that they're going to have to lean on 
those two guys in particular, in Volquez and Ventura, to really lead the charge. No true ace, but if one of those guys can kind of step up and be the guy, they're going to be all right with that big offense. In your rankings, how much does the true ace impact how the numbers fell? Yeah, so a lot is the short answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Jake Arrieta, for instance, he compiled, I believe, a war over eight or nine last season, was just absolutely phenomenal. And for the Cubs in particular, they they wound up as the number one team in the league based upon the methodology I chose. And a lot of that, too, was uh, John Lackey, interestingly enough, who had a great bounce back here with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. But, again, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because is he going to be that kind of a guy again or is he going to fall back to earth? He's always kind of been that contract year guy. Uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, in the case of Jake Arrieta, he really propped them up. I thought that the Diamondbacks would end up a lot higher than they did. They wound up at seven. Uh, the additions of Zach Greinke and Shelby Miller obviously were huge. Mm. Um, but, yeah, those were the, the two that really stood out for me. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, too, the number seven. But if you look at the top six, it gets really tough to rank. I mean, the, you know, oh, yeah. the Mets at number six, the Indians at four, which I love the rotation, the Nationals at five. I mean, there are some really good, really deep rotations in the top ten. Yeah, no question. And I've I've got a lot of emails flooding in about the Mets. A lot of their fans are not too pleased with me. <laughs> uh, they they actually got uh, hindered a little bit by Stephen Matt didn't pitch the whole year, so that kind of bumped them down a little bit in the rankings. So again, grain of salt there. But I think they can be as good as any rotation in baseball. And like you said, the Indians they have a fantastic rotation, and I don't think a lot of casual baseball fans really know about them yet but they they go four potentially five deep they're a really talented group is there any rotation that was in the lower half lower third that you think may be better than their projections interesting question well i mean yeah that's that's tough i think the royals could be one Mm. i talked about them earlier the Volquez Ventura duo, if they can really shine, have one of them be the ace of the staff, so to speak, and if Ian Kennedy can kind of get it, get back with it, he obviously had a down year last year. Uh, I think the Angels potentially, although Jared Weaver has not looked good in spring training. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw his 82 mile per hour fastball. I believe it I was. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's not ideal. That's uh, that's a batting practice fastball. Uh, I've been joking around with my buddies that he might have to mix in like a 50 mile an hour curve to offset that. There you go. It's all relative, right? <laughs> just right. Back yeah. Off so everything else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe throw in a knuckleball or something. Right. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I think down at the bottom, it's probably going to play out as you might expect. Like, the Rockies, obviously, always are going to struggle. The Braves, they're super young again. They're going to struggle. The Brewers bringing back Garza, who had just a terrible year last year, it's going to be tough for them. So I think for a lot of the teams in the bottom third, it's going to be tough for them to really fight it and get back around average, really. I think they're kind of falling in line there. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, uh, looking at the Cubs and rotations like that, because 
teams you just mentioned, like the Brewers and the Reds, that are going through a rebuilding mode right now, it's going to be interesting to see some of the numbers that the top National League rotations can rack up, especially when you're in the same division with the Brewers and, and the Reds and teams like that. I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch as we move through this season. Yeah, no question. And as you said, really at the top ten, it's a lot of NL teams. And if they're going up against the, those opponents, they're really going to be racking up wins pretty easily. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, no doubt. Where do you, uh, in a general sense, outside of the rotation, where do you see the Mariners fitting in in the AL West? Well, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, it, it falls on the offense. I think the pitching rotation really is very solid. Um, I just, I, I really, I worry that it's got to be on Cano. He's got to step up and be the man for this team. Um, obviously, the Astros, really great rotation, solid young core. Those young guys are only going to be getting better. I think they're probably the team to watch out for there. Angels are going to be tough, but they've got to produce some runs. The Rangers, obviously, are always in it. So it, it's going to be, again, that, that four-way race. But I, I, it only took 88 games to win the division last year. I think the Mariners are good enough to get that. The question is going to be whether or not they're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rotation, it looks solid. The offense, there are some questions, but not not a huge level of competition there. I think the Astros are obviously going to be gunning for that top spot this year, but I think the Mariners can get in. Well, it's going to be interesting. Ben, this was a fun read. It's a great conversation piece, and I don't envy you because ranking the rotations is not an easy task, but I enjoyed the read and uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Ben yeah, Lieb- thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Ben Lebowitz, you can see him on Twitter, at Ben Lebo. Uh, he writes for pointafter.com. You can see him at Sports Illustrated, NBA.com, and Yahoo, lots of different places. That's a pretty interesting conversation. I remember this time last year I went over starting rotation ERA and correlation to postseason, and it was pretty fascinating to see how many clubs with a top starting ERA ended up in the postseason. It's weird how last year ended up happening. The correlation wasn't as strong as the year before, but in the National League, it was very strong. The Cardinals had the best starter ERA in baseball last year. They made the postseason. Dodgers were second best. They made it. Cubs the third best. They made it. Mets the fourth best. They made it. Pirates the fifth best. They made it. So top five all in the National League. They made the postseason. The American League, though, it was kind of all over the place. The Astros were in the top 10 in terms of rotation ERA. They made the postseason, obviously. But as far down as 22nd and 21st, the Rangers 21st in starter ERA and the Royals 22nd in starter ERA, they both made the postseason. The year before, it was pretty clear cut. The majority of the top 10 in starter ERA, the vast majority, made the postseason So last year was a little more scattered than the year before. It's going to be interesting to see how this year plays out. And I think a lot of those NL teams are going to be at the top again in terms of NL ERA. But we'll see how the American League shakes out and where the Mariners fit in. A big year with the rotation, obviously, can help them get into the postseason. 
So coming up right now, kind of our, our tribute to Joe Garagiola, one of the great characters of the game, broadcaster, player, did it all. Here's a conversation that Rick Riz had with Joe Garagiola in 2007 in spring training right before his newest book at the time was about to come out. Well, one of the joys as a young man growing up in the south side of Chicago and for a lot of baseball fans throughout the country was watching the Game of the Week on television with Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek, longtime voice on television and former big leaguer. This guy has done just about everything in the game of baseball. Joe Garagiola, tell us what you've been up to over the last uh, few years. And you got a new book coming out. It's called Just Play Ball. And if anybody can talk baseball, it's you. Well, first of all, the book, it would just happen. I'm just tired, like I think most baseball fans, of hearing nothing about steroids and hearing nothing except uh, human growth hormones. And in that book, you don't hear the words, and nobody gets a girl at the end. It's just baseball. <laughs> it's, it's just fun stuff that I've had. Baseball is still fun, and, and that's what it should be. Look at the crowds you got out here in spring training, and uh, they don't want to hear about that other garbage. Well, tell us some about it, the great stories uh, in this particular book called Just Play Ball. Where do you start in the middle and the end, and what a journey it's been? Well, I just start with the catchers because everybody gets a view of the catcher when they think about Johnny Bench, Yogi Berra, Roy Campanella, and all those great guys. But how about us grunts, you know? I mean, uh, the title of my chapter on catchers is that even Charlie Brown's catcher would rather play the <laughs> piano because if... if I, I'm convinced if you were in the parade, you'd have to march behind the elephants where the view would never change and you'd get dumped on. Uh, and, and, and even the term itself, catcher, Rick, I mean, it's a half sentence. Catcher of what? Some pitcher giving you stares that you're the dummy behind the plate or the uh, manager who's looking and he can't wait for you to come in so he can say, what were you thinking about? But I am happy to report to all catchers of my ilk that at least it's an upgrade because in 1845, that's the only research I did, in 1845 the catcher was called the behind. <laughs> Can you imagine filling out a resume saying I used to be a behind? And, and Schilling was the guy when I told him, he said, uh, that's a great name, should have kept it. I, I said, why do you say that? He said, I'll tell you why. I had one of my geniuses, that's what he refers to catchers as, with uh, the sarcastic venom that he spews. Uh -huh. He said, I had my genius come out to the mound, and he says to me, what signs are we using? Second sign to the first two, we adding them? I looked at him, I said, here's a guy in a meeting He's supposed to be thinking how we're getting the other guy out, and he don't know what fingers he's putting down. <laughs> That's a bad thing, right? It really is, but I, I, I get on the pitchers a little bit because uh, some of them, you watch them out there, they, they prance around, they'll pick up the rosin bag, and, and they act like it's uh, makeup for the Jay Leno show. <laughs> uh, or, or they think that they're uh, going to be uh, in the Rose Bowl parade. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, you go to, you've been in enough press conferences. What's the greatest praise that a pitcher will give when he f pitches a good game? He'll say, never shook him off once. And you know what I say? I know that because if you'd have been shaking me off, I could hear the rattle from 60 feet, six inches away. But uh, it's a fun book, and you can pick it up anytime. Uh, the guy said to me, how would you describe it? I said, you know what? It's a six-pack linoleum book. He said, what is that? I said, you don't have to sit in the dining room with big high carpet. Open it up at any page. Uh, uh, I got a ch the, the chapter I had the most fun with, well, umpires. 
because you hear some things back there. You know, and, and you can learn some things. For example, how many times have you sat in the stands and you see a guy run out, a manager, a coach, and all of a sudden get to the umpire, hardly say anything, and turn around? You say, what was that all about? <laughs> well, I've seen it happen where what happens is they have a signal with the first baseman, for example, and when he runs out, let him know with your signal whether you, the first baseman, thought he was safer out. Mm -hmm. Joe Morgan runs out, and he's too far out, and he's got to go down the line to get the umpire, but he takes a glance at his first baseman who gives him the sign that he was safe. So Joe runs up to the umpire, and he says, what was he? And the umpire says, he was safe. He says, you're doggone right he was, and he runs off. <laughs> so, I mean, those kind of things happen, and people should know about that. It, it, it's a fun book. I, you'll get a smile, but the, the chapter I had the most fun in was uh, uh, putting thoughts in, in, in players' uh, mind that I heard and uh, body language tells me. I mean, like outfielders. You, you get a pitcher who's getting hit nothing but, I mean, they're hitting nothing but rockets off him. You watch him out there. All they need as they walk around is a couple of sheep, and they could be a shepherd. I mean, they're, they're, they're not worried about <laughs> what's going to happen to our defense. So I had a lot of fun with that. And umpires, oh, yeah. You'll enjoy it. I hope you do anyhow. Folks, it's called Just Play Ball, a book that's going to be coming out written by Joe Garagiola. Joe. Just a minute ago I said that you've seen it all in baseball and pretty much done it all as a player and as a broadcaster You've been involved with the game for so many years. Who was the greatest player that you ever saw. Well I've seen a lot of great players but I'll answer your question this way if I had ten dollars and I said you got to spend it to watch a baseball player or a game with this player playing and who would it be I don't hesitate Willie Mays no question about it because Willie number one he gave you excitement with his arm with his legs with his bat and he played with enthusiasm I saw Willie yesterday and the first thing I said to him I said Willie you really owe me a lot what are you talking about man <laughs> I said if I wouldn't have called all those wrong pitches you think they would know how good a feeler you were <laughs> he said you're crazy you're crazy I love I love Willie Mays. Uh, I just wish that he could spread the Willie Mays uh, feeling all over the ballpark. Um, he has uh, every time he put on a uniform, and, and, and I think still does. But, uh, you know, you played the game for a long time. What was it like playing back, back in the day? Well, uh, it was fun, like it is now for these guys. And I know people come up to me now, and they'll say, oh, when you guys play, you play for the fun of it. I said, no, we play for the most money we could get, but we didn't have a union. Kenny Boyer, in the book, and I'm not plugging it, it's the greatest line I've ever heard. When a guy said to him, you guys play for the fun of the game, he said, yes, we did. We played for the fun of the game. But you know what? The more money I got, the more fun I had. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Be honest about it. I mean, just think. In my day, DiMaggio, Williams, and Musial raced to see who was going to be the first $100,000 a year player. The minimum salary today is 330000 is the last I heard. Yeah. And all you got to do is make the roster and take the team picture and sit in the hotel lobby. You don't even have to play. <laughs> Times have changed uh, oh. just a little bit. How about the broadcasting days with Tony Kubek on the Game of the Week and other partners that you've had? That You also enjoyed that. Oh, that was great. Uh, Tony, because we would argue. And, and that's what two, two uh, athletes should be doing, talking like athletes. I remember working with Rizzuto one day at Yankee Stadium, and he came in uh, after having said on the air, well, that double play was executed perfectly. I said, Scooter, would you go on the bench and say to the guys the double play was executed per 
perfectly? I said, no, I would have said they made the double play. I said, that's the way you have to talk. And Kubek was great. We used to argue going to the airport. The game be over for an hour and a half. But that's the way it should be. Uh, uh, and of course, the only thing that bothers me, and I hope I don't get you in trouble. No, I wouldn't get you in trouble. All these close-ups. I mean, uh, uh, Fox. Uh, well, and the other thing is, there's no such thing as a call to the bullpen. It's a, a Extel Altel call, or it's a Jiffy Lube this, or it's a Viagra that. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, they make a pitching change. Oh, it's time to change your tires. No, it's time to change pitchers. That's how those salaries get up there, Joe. I know it. I know it. That's why when I played, see, they, they convinced us it was the opportunity. In fact, Mr. Ricky had this great theory. A lot of players over here, a lot of money over here. Don't mix them. Don't mix them. Visiting with Joe Garagiola. Joe, the book is called Just Play Ball. When is it going to be out? It'll be out uh, April 1st, but right after opening day. And uh, uh, I, I just hope that uh, it does well. But I, I think people will enjoy it because it's not how to throw. Oh, these guys today. I mean, we throw a fastball, and I'm going to get off because I know you're running out of time. I mean, we had fastball, curveball, and change of pace. Now a guy's got a four-seamer, a two-seamer, a cutter, a sailor, a sinker. And the one that really gets me is when a home run is hit 999,000 feet, and the pitcher will come in and say, that was a quality pitch. I said, wait a minute, pal. And he tore out a row of seats. What's his quality? Well, I got the first half of the ball by him. First half of the ball? I mean, uh, in my day, a guy would come in and say, that is a blank, blank pitch that I made and took the... You've had this statistic, I know. I do 15 games for the Diamondbacks. I had a laugh when they handed it to me. Most steals after pickoff throws. Oh, really? At first base. And I said, is that a statistic? I mean, if a guy throws over there, they say, well, he stole second base after 10 pickoff throws. Or how about the one we had with the Diamondbacks? Carlos Quentin hit a home run, and it was an historical event. You know why? Why? He hit it off Chad Qualls. It was the first time in the history of baseball that an outfielder or a player on the opposing team hit a home run off a pitcher whose name also began with Q. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Unbelievable. Yeah. I bet you don't know the right side of the infield. Who holds the record for the longest name? Grudzelanek? He's one of them. And what's the other guy? Minkiewicz. Yeah, yeah, I see. Spell that one. Well, you know what I said? <laughs> Spell it. You could spend the afternoon reading the back of their shirts is what you could do. I mean, oh, God. my goodness. Joe Garagiola, thanks a lot for the visit. The book is called Just Play Ball. It's coming out on April the 1st. Can't wait to read it. It's going to be great. Thank you very much. It's not as thick as that scorebook. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is as thick as that. Joe Garagiola, thanks a lot for the visit. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much. God love you. See you later. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from sky 
skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 